this episode of New Abolitionist Radio, we will continue to focus on the most vulnerable population in the United States during this COVID-19 pandemic and a recent Supreme Court of the United States ruling that gives cops even more leeway to make stops. But before we get to those news stories, we have a couple of announcements. New Abolitionist Radio will no longer do a live program on Sunday nights. Instead, we will record a weekly podcast with segments from our contributors and the occasional interview. The nonprofit media organization Black Talk Media Project is hoping to make up shortfalls in an inconsistent budget in order to maintain its various media projects, including the Black Talk Radio Network, which for the second year in a row captured the top spot in Black Podcasts and African Diaspora rankings. We are looking for 100 monthly donors who can give at least $10 a month to sustain operations. If you are one of the tens of thousands who consume media content from the platform, please consider becoming a regular monthly donor. All donors who give at least $2 per month will gain an exclusive membership to our social media platform, btrcommunity.com, and an email subscription to the Black Talk Radio Network.com. Let's look at what's in the news. Correction officers infected and sick from COVID-19 are being pressured and forced to return to work despite their illness. It seems the state of New York is purposely facilitating the spread of COVID-19 in its jails. From the Daily News, 10 Riker Island correction officers refused to return to work on Wednesday morning for what would be 24-hour shifts at a jail with nearly 200 inmates who have coronavirus, while two others with confirmed cases were told to return to work, according to the Daily News. A total of 18 officers redeployed from Anna M. Cross Center to Eric M. Taylor Center, a facility that reopened last month to handle the influx of COVID-19 cases. They worked triple tours without meals or protective masks, according to several emails sent by correction department staffers. As we have been reporting on New Abolitionist Radio, prisons are prime real estate, not just for prison slavers, but for the coronavirus as well. And too many officials are not taking it serious when it comes to prison slaves in the system of prison slavery that has existed since 1865 following the period of plantation enslavement. One North Infirmary Command Officer, who is 30 years old, is from the Bronx and has over two years on the job, tested positive for coronavirus on March the 29th, medical records show. The officer said a HMD physician told him on Tuesday to return to work, even though a personal doctor said the officer should not go back before April the 19th. The HMD doctor said the officer who provided a doctor's note would also have to contact the payroll department if he did not return to work immediately. He told me, we need everyone back to work. It doesn't matter if you're still having symptoms. If you don't have a fever, you have to come back, said the officer, whose mother, father, and sister have all tested positive for COVID-19. I felt offended. I felt almost like threatened to come back, he said. I'm still sick. 
and he doesn't care about my well-being or the well-being of my co-workers. Another officer at North Infirmary Command also tested positive on March the 29th. An HMD doctor told him on Friday that he also had to return to work this week, even though he was running a 100.5 degree fever, the officer told the news. The doctor said, that's not a fever, said the 33-year-old officer who lives in Queens and has been on the job since 2011. I told him I still had a cough, still had body aches, but he didn't care about that either. It's frustrating. It just shows they don't care, the officer said. It's kind of disgusting. Honestly, people are dying. They need to fix this or they're going to get more people sick. Yes, indeed. Evidence would suggest that the personnel working within health management department care very little about the health of correction officers, not to mention the prisoners themselves. In another story, the progressive magazine Jokobin recently released a call transcript from an interview with Jojo Goldman, who is currently in pretrial detention at Rikers Island in New York City. Let's share his transcribed call in its entirety. My first symptoms was like a sore throat, sneezing, runny nose. I had fatigue and a bad headache, too. Last week, before I felt sick, I was put on sanitation duty. They had us doing last-ditch efforts going around the whole jail, like spraying a chemical that kills coronavirus and also spraying bleach. We were spraying all the bars, the correction officer's keys, the door handles. But it was a last-ditch effort. Me and an officer I was working with was talking about the coronavirus how it was like overrated and stuff because it's not deadly. She joked like, yeah, that's true, because I've been around people that's positive, and I feel fine. On March 19th, I started feeling sick, and I went to the Rikers Clinic. I told the doctor, I don't feel regular. I would like to get tested for the coronavirus. They told me they don't do testing. They gave me some medicine for nasal congestion and a sore throat, which didn't help me at all. They sent me back to my housing unit. And because I think I was one of the first ones to get sick, and I think I got like two or three more people sick in the house. They was coughing, and one person started having muscle aches like me. Two days later, on Saturday March 21st, I went down to the clinic again, and my temperature was 100.9. That's when they took me more serious. The clinic gave me two ibuprofen, and my temperature went down to 100. What happened next was some improvised, unconstitutional, and inhumane things. They quarantined me and two other men that night, March 21st. They sent us down to Quad 14 Lower Housing Unit that was just recently closed. They opened it up just for us three. When we got there, it was inadequate. It didn't have none of our minimum standards, no hygiene products, no toothbrush, toothpaste, soap. We couldn't get a shower. We couldn't get our property. They didn't allow us no phone call. And we was quarantined, so obviously we don't feel good. But they didn't give us no medical attention. We didn't see the nurses or doctors while we were down there. They wasn't taking us seriously. They finally moved me to quarantine by myself in another facility. But I feel like I'm not getting the proper medical treatment here either. They couldn't check my vitals for the first few days, they didn't even have a thermometer. Then they started checking my vitals two, three times a day just my blood pressure and my heart rate. They started giving me Theraflu and Ibuprofen, but that's not working. 
They finally tested me for the coronavirus on Monday night. They said the results take about 72 hours, so that was supposed to be Thursday. But it's Friday night now, and I still didn't hear nothing. And I won't hear over the weekend, because they says it only on business days. If I do have the coronavirus, I asked the nurse, will I be transferred to a hospital? And he said no, I'm more than likely going to stay here. The correction officers have been very kind and helpful, but some of them are not taking it serious. They are not wearing their masks and gloves. They think it's a joke, and I be telling them, this is serious, man. I thought it was a game, too. I'm 28. I'm healthy, I exercise, and I feel bad. I never felt this bad in my life. It's scary. This morning, I passed out for the first time in my life. I woke up around 4 this morning to use the bathroom. My feet and my ankles were tingling and numb. I got up, walked to the door, and I called the correction officer. As I started talking to him, I began feeling really lightheaded. I regained my composure for a minute. But then I dropped and hit my back hard on the door. That was a really scary feeling right there. Today, I told the doctors about me passing out, but they didn't do nothing. It feels like nobody is taking it seriously. And I still have my little cough, I still have my fatigue. I'm really hot right now. I can feel I got a fever. I want people to know that it's impossible for us to take care of ourselves in prison. It's too congested. And the Department of Corrections is not prepared to handle this crisis. And this is an inhumane crisis. And I want people to know that they are doing illegal things, like how they quarantined us in a housing unit with no hygiene products or soap or any of our property. That they didn't let us make phone calls during that time. I want people to know what's happening in here, it's not okay, and it's not normal. When discussing any aspect of prison slavery in the USA, one cannot leave out private prisons, which mostly handle people deemed to be undocumented and from Spanish-speaking nations. Obviously, they are not immune from COVID-19 pandemic, as we have a report about Virginia-based ICA Farmville, which has a reputation for overcrowding and poor sanitation. Last year, the private ICE prison was hit with an outbreak of months, a classic disease of overcrowding and poor sanitation, according to experts. Mint Press News writes, amidst a COVID-19 outbreak, Around 100 detained migrants at a private for-profit prison in Farmville, Virginia, have collectively gone on hunger strike, demanding their release on medical and humane grounds. That is according to Sanctuary DMV, a volunteer organization helping immigrants in the Washington, D.C. area. Phone lines to the dorms have been cut and visits have been suspended. Inmates claim that one dorm is under strict quarantine. We are very concerned about the health and safety of everyone detained at Farmville and detention centers, prisons, and jails across the country, said Madhvi Venkatachuman, court organizer with Sanctuary DMV. The move comes in response to the inaction of Attorney General William Barr. 
The prison is run by Immigration Centers of America, ICA, and is detaining up to 800 people arrested by Immigration and Custom Enforcement. Invoices seen by Mint Press News show that ICA charged U.S. taxpayers more for housing prisoners in inhumane conditions that cost more than to rent them each rooms at a nearby Hilton Hotel in downtown Richmond, Virginia. Invoices obtained by the Mint Press show $2.2 million for February and $2.3 million for January for their service, which breaks down to around $120 per person per day. Closing out the news, we have a recent Supreme Court decision that gives the police, a.k.a. the paddy rollers and slave patrollers, more power to stop you on the highways and streets of the United States. The U.S. Supreme Court on Monday upheld a warrantless traffic stop by a sheriff's deputy in Kansas that was conducted based on information that the car owner's license had been revoked. Charles Glover Jr. claimed that the deputy did not have the required reasonable suspicion to pull him over because all he did was run the truck's license plate and did not know before the stop that the vehicle's owner, Glover, was the one driving. In an 8-to-1 decision authored by Justice Clarence Thomas, the court held that police acted properly. The Kansas Supreme Court had ruled in Glover's favor, claiming that the stop was based on only a hunch that the driver of the truck was the owner. But the U.S. Supreme Court held that Meher's belief was more reasonable than just a hunch and a common sense inference. The fact that the registered owner of a vehicle is not always the driver of the vehicle does not negate the reasonableness of Deputy Meher's inference, Thomas said. Justices Elena Kagan and Ruth Bader Ginsburg pointed out that the fact that the truck's owner had a revoked license means that it was no longer a common sense assumption that the owner was driving, but still agreed that Meher had reasonable suspicion. In a dissenting opinion, Justice Sonia Sotomayor argued that Mayher did not have enough to support his belief that Glover had been driving without a valid license. With no basis in the record to presume that unlicensed drivers routinely continue driving, the majority endeavors to fill the gap with its own common sense, Sotomayor wrote. She also claimed that the majority improperly looked to the common sense of an average person instead of that of a reasonable officer. But the majority noted that her arguments, which were also made by Glover, were unconvincing. What we have here in layman terms is that the Supreme Court just once again lowered the probable cause bar for police. Now, I can't help but wonder, how much did it cost taxpayers for the state of Kansas to litigate this traffic case all the way to the Supreme Court of the United States? Ridiculous. Well, this has been Scotty T. Reed with an episode of New Abolitionist Radio, the podcast. Feel free to like, share, and subscribe for future podcasts. And don't forget to make a donation to the nonprofit media organization, Black Talk Media Project.